This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode number 60, The Whole Armor of God. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello and welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. Glad you could join us for episode number 60, The Whole Armor of God. And we have the whole gang here this evening. We've got Matt, Pastor Strobel, and Pastor Steve. We'll start with Matthew. Matthew, how you been? What's new? Doing real good. Just uh, went to Youth of Blaze last weekend. It was a good time. Actually, we all went to Youth of Blaze, right? That we did. Amen. Amen. It was good, but go ahead. Well, we were hoping to get a nice picture, maybe uh, a video of all of us together, but we weren't able to. We didn't have enough time. But uh, it was just, it was a great time. It was. It was a real good time. Pastor Strobel. Yep. As you said, I was at Youth of Blaze as well. We took a group from our church for the whole time. And so we were there from Thursday night, then including uh, Friday morning and Friday and I'm doing my best, but it's hard to talk while I got that music loud in my ear. <laughs> it's not going down, Eric. You have a sensitive airpiece, apparently. No, there we go. All right. And we also have Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve, how about you? I'm doing well. I'm back from the dead. It's good to be with you guys and uh, getting picked on as normal. So this is good. Picked right. on. Right? That, that picture proves not at all that you're the dead. <laughs> Well, I tell you, there's been a lot of, I, you know, the last time uh, I was on, I don't remember exactly all that uh, took place and what went on, but uh, some things have happened, I'm sure, since then. And if I could give you just a quick update on that, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Um, talked about Frank and, and uh, his wife, Jill, that had gotten saved, yeah. and uh, we've had Bible studies with them every week. Since then, and uh, his uh, Frank's sister Katie has, has trusted the Lord as her Savior. And then uh, tonight, uh, while um, I have uh, Jason and I and my wife Lori are with uh, uh, the adults downstairs, <clears throat> my son Dave and, and his wife Lenny are up up upstairs uh, with the uh, with Frank's two kids. And uh, their boy Frankie trusted the Lord as his Savior tonight. So it's Amen. just been been a real joy and a blessing. And and uh, I tell you what, it's it's really kind of wild because uh, there's a lot of questions that are flying around, and uh, it's really keeping Jason and I on our toes. <laughs> uh, haven't I've 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 tried to get through one Bible study in the last three weeks and and still haven't gotten through it yet with all the questions that are going on. So uh, it's uh, it's really a joy and and a pleasure and having a lot of fun and uh, trying to get out the truth at the same time. So praise right. the Lord for that. Oh, by the way, when we went to Youth of Blaze, as they mentioned, we were there. I I had uh, brought Frank and and Jill and uh, the two kids with us too, and they really enjoyed it. First time they'd ever been to anything like that, and and hearing the the good uh, hard preaching and stuff that that Southern 
in your face kind of preaching. They really enjoyed that, which, you know, you're always leery and apprehensive uh, as to whether they're going to like that kind of thing, but they really enjoyed it. So praise the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. It was good. And it sounds, is your Bible study thing open to the public? It sounds like you have the teens in one room and the adults in another room and the, and the well, visitors. Well, just the way it's working out. I mean, uh, uh, you know, kids are in one room, like I said, and adults are downstairs. And and uh, we're trying to get more. So we'll see what happens. That's good. Is there a nursery provided? <laughs> Not yet, but okay. uh, if need be. Amen. <laughs> and the address is? <laughs> Some coffee and hors d'oeuvres and different things like that. Well, I tell you what, Frank brought over pizza, and uh, we had pizza before we started. So, uh, nice. you know, you guys had uh, Oreos and milk, and we had pizza, and, and uh, so hmm. you, you can decide which you want. <laughs> Who had the Oreos, Oreos and milk? Uh, my daughter was putting it in my face saying she had Oreos and milk. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. And uh, I said, uh, I, I saved me some. And she said, well, come over and see me. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the text message that I get at work today. I'd really like some Oreos <laughs> before I get out of work. <laughs> so you know what that means. <laughs> so I went to uh, Wegmans, got some, uh, you know, the double... I don't know what it was. Double, double stuffed Oreos. Yeah, double stuffed Oreos and came home. And I'm not complaining either, though. I love those. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'm having a craving for an Oreo. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have anyone to go get me Oreos. <laughs> but you know what I was thinking, though, about the um, you know the Bible study that you're having, uh, yeah. Pastor Steve? is um, It's just we heard, I think it was in, at church just this last um, Wednesday, about... Um, how statistically um, families that get together and have Bible studies or things like that get saved um, a lot more than just maybe just an individual that comes over for a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's really true. I know I have a, a friend at work that got saved a couple years ago, and then his wife got saved, and now he's been witnessing to his brother and family members and things like that. And they want to have a big, you know, kind of a meeting, kind of a Bible study for a night. And, and, uh, it sounds like, uh, his brother wants to get saved now. And so I think that's true. I think once it's pretty amazing, once you get one person saved and if, if, uh, that person gets on fire and wants to witness to others, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good indication that I think a lot of other family members will get, uh, saved as well, or a better chance that way anyway. Amen. And I believe that's in the Bible. You got it. Right? Examples of that. Interesting enough, uh, back uh, about, well, probably just before the time that that, uh, you and I met, Eric, Mm -hmm. um, the pastor of the church that we were going to there in Lockport, which is where Pastor Strobel is now, um, the pastor had a series of three Bible studies that he would do on prophecy in the book of Revelation. Uh, the first thing he'd do is scare them, you know, with all the things that are going to happen in the tribulation, all that kind of stuff, you know, kind of suggest you don't want to be here for that. And then the last one culminated uh, with, with uh, a gospel message. And uh, what he encouraged the church members to do would be to host the uh, Bible study in their home and invite friends or family or whatever, you know, find out if there's people that they knew that were interested in in a Bible study such as that. And uh, when I arrived there, um, you know, this was back in 1980, 
uh, he was conducting these Bible studies. And as a result of that, there were several people that trusted Christ as their Savior. And uh, many of them uh, were, were coming to church and so forth. So uh, Bible studies are a good thing that can uh, promote a lot of interest and, um, you know, uh, help a, a young church to, to grow and help young Christians to grow. And, and uh, I've always seen it as a, a real positive. Amen. Pastor Strobel, did you have a verse? Oh, as you had mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. that's in the Bible. And Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Mm-hmm. And so that was to the Philippian jailer. And especially, it seems like when the man of the house gets saved, um, there's a lot of times when uh, the rest of the family winds up following suit. And that was the case in there in Acts mm-hmm. 16. Philippian jailer mm-hmm. got saved. Uh, they went home. Paul spoke. Spoke those uh, same words to his household, who also got saved and followed the Lord in the believer's baptism. Amen. 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 And so, Matt, are you going out this Saturday? Yeah, we're going out to, uh, it's the last um, home game for the Syracuse um, basketball team. And again, they've only lost one game, so they're they're doing really well. They're, they're uh, um, It's going to be a big crowd this weekend, and it's pretty neat. A lot of people that I talk to... Um, patients that come in um they're like you know are you going to the game and i say yeah i'll be there i'll be there uh, preaching (laughs) and uh so usually they don't say anything more after after i tell them that but uh, yeah but it's you know it's one of those things where um you know i gotta be careful what i say and things with my with my work and uh talking about the bible and different things like that but you know i wonder so many times i was saying this to my wife a couple days ago i wonder how many people um, come in, you know, and they they maybe had seen me a week or two weeks before street preaching out there, and then they come in and they're having to be x-rayed by this guy. And, you know, if you're not saved, you don't really, uh, you think maybe that the street preacher is a little crazy or something like that. And then, you know, now you recognize this person that was out there before and you thought he was crazy, and now he's taking uh, uh, his hand and putting, uh, you know, his hand on radiation, you know, where he can totally, uh, <laughs> you know, mess you up if you wanted to. <laughs> But uh, so I wonder sometimes what goes through some people's head when uh, when uh, when I say okay I'm here to take your X-rays you know but uh, but yeah it'll be uh, it'll be good good weekend uh, there won't be as many people that'll be able to go so it might just be uh, my wife and I uh, out there so uh, so pray for us if you could but it'll be it'll be a good time. Amen. Remember if you need an X-ray call Matthew at one eight hundred. Amen. Yeah, we'll get you in trouble, man. So what else we need to talk about before we do our study today? Well, I'll tell you what, why don't you think about it and I'll uh, play this message. Actually, these couple of messages. You have heard the term saved before, but is it something used in the Bible? Saved from what? What does the Bible say about needing to be saved and how is it really done? Join us for episode 17 as we answer these important questions. Only on fatsinthebible.com. There is a spiritual warfare taking place all around us. It's an unseen battle which wants to claim your Christian walk and testimony. Find out how to emerge victorious. Listen to episode 21, The Spiritual Warfare, Are You Being Attacked? Only on FatsInTheBible.com Now that last piece there it makes me just think of the whole armor of God. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Say, 
listen to episode f- whatever that was and this next one too. And, and, and episode 60, this is tonight's episode. There you go. So, yes. I think when uh, Pastor Stroll was doing his study, he should have that music in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be shouting by the time that's over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it'll be good. Uh, your trusted steed and get your sword. And... It'll be as. I thought you were referring to our the earlier problem I had with the music. I was going oh, yeah. to say, it'll be a short study. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that could be the cue to wrap it up. I bite the music. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the good thing about that's in the Bible is uh, we don't have a set time limit. So we go until the Holy Spirit says that's enough. Amen. Especially Steve. <laughs> somebody falls Thanks, asleep it's that? been a while hasn't it <laughs> I had to get that you know I was good while you were gone really, really was. yeah so yeah. I have to get it out now yeah he was just saving it up to unload when <laughs> yeah. you got back <laughs> uh, I was going to ask while, while this, we have this lull of silence uh, Matt even though that's the last home Syracuse game will they be uh, the facilities there be hosting any of the uh, NCAA tournament I have you know? no idea to tell you the truth. Last year, I don't believe they did. Um, okay. But um, it, there's nothing like if you go to the website, uh, there's nothing scheduled at this present okay. moment. So they do yeah. those on a rotating basis, so it, they may be out of the loop in this particular uh, year. Yeah. I'm, that'd be, I'm sure that'd be an opportunity to get people that weren't normally in the area if, it, if they did. Definitely, and and also they uh, last year I actually went to the you know they have the uh, monster truck show. They actually had it for the first time there in Syracuse at the Dome. Um, and I went to it, and I was going up, you know, where we street preach with everybody else that was walking up. And I'm thinking, boy, this would be a good opportunity to be able to preach to other people that, you know, wouldn't go to the game and things like that. And mm-hmm. so I'm thinking that this year, I think it's in a couple of weeks that they're having that. So hopefully we'll go and preach um, to that crowd that's going there, too, because it'll definitely be a different crowd than than the basketball crowd. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't we go ahead and, and if you're ready, Pastor Strobel, we'll go ahead and start yep. the lesson. I'm ready. All right, here we go. Amen. You know, once you get saved, you get thrust into the midst of a war that's been raging since God kicked the devil out of heaven. Being saved, you're now a soldier in a battle, and God admonishes you to be a good soldier. Second Timothy chapter two, verse three, the Bible says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In second Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse three, you can read this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, according to these verses, we are not in a physical battle, but rather a spiritual one. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, this truth is further indicated as it tells us to fight the good fight of faith. Uh, The same truth is also evident in Ephesians chapter 6 verse number 12. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is an unseen spiritual battle that's being fought on a spiritual plane, not visible to human eyes. 
And occasionally the Bible pulls back the veil and it makes us aware of this battle. And at times it even gives us a, a glimpse into its technical workings. Uh, we won't look at them tonight. Uh, one of these was uh, looked at in the previous study on spiritual warfare. Uh, Daniel chapter 10 will show you some of that. Also, Job chapters 1 and verse number 2, or chapters 1 and chapter 2, uh, will show you the Lord pulling back the veil and giving you a glimpse into the uh, inner workings of that spiritual battle as it takes place. And uh, you can see it elsewhere. I think uh, 1 Kings chapter 22 will give you a glimpse as well. Uh, the Christian has an adversary. Uh, our adversary is the same adversary that God has. Our adversary is the devil. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And he is a formidable foe. And though he is, you want to also note that, um, I think it's important to note, the devil can't make you do anything. Uh, You have a free will, and you make your own choices. What the devil will do is he'll try to influence those choices. He'll try to persuade you to go against God and to uh, do things that are wrong, do things that are uh, unscriptural. The devil will oppress you, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. The devil will try to make it hard for you to do right. Uh, He'll try to make it hard on you for doing right. Uh, His goal is to get you to quit living for the Lord. Uh, And and ultimately, he'd like to really kind of recruit you to be um, a minister for him even. And even if you're saved, you still could be used uh, of the devil. More on that in a moment. You can be sure that the devil's not your friend, uh, but rather he's your sworn enemy. He is your adversary, and he's your adversary because he's God's adversary, and you have chosen to align yourself with God if you're saved. And thus, uh, the devil fights God, and you being on God's side, the devil fights you. We read a little while ago in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that our fight is not against flesh and blood. Even so, sometimes it seems that we are fighting against flesh and blood. What you've got to learn to do in such cases is to take a deeper look than the person that seems to be troubling you. I mean, you might be getting it from somebody, but uh, you need to recognize that the battle goes deeper than that. It's not flesh and blood you're wrestling with. We forget this sometimes. Uh, Jesus illustrated this, or, or I should say perhaps it was illustrated in his own life, when one time he was being adversely influenced or trying to be adversely influenced by Peter. And at that time, he turned to Peter and he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Though Peter was standing before him, Peter was actually being used as a mouthpiece for the devil. And so uh, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke directly to the one in Peter that was really giving him the hassle. And uh, the words that were spoken were against Jesus going to the cross, and Jesus recognized where the battle was. There was somebody that didn't want him to go to the cross. Peter didn't have a real good understanding of this, but somebody inside of Peter did. And so he said to Peter, and really to the devil in Peter, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Now what we're going to look at tonight is the whole armor of God. And it's already been implied in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, which we read, uh, that we have some weapons are at, dis- at our disposal in this battle. Uh, back over there, we read this, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down uh, of strongholds. So there are some weapons that we've got. They're not carnal weapons. That is uh, fleshly weapons. They're mighty weapons. They're powerful. Uh, yea, they are spiritual weapons. We also have some defensive armor that's given uh, for our protection. These things can be found in Ephesians chapter 6, 
verses 10 through 20, where the Lord introduces us to the whole armor of God. And in this passage, you're going to find reference to seven distinct pieces of armor and weaponry uh, that God's given uh, for us to utilize in this uh, spiritual warfare. And I want to tell you that you really ought to familiar, uh, familiarize yourself with uh, these pieces of armor. Each piece, there's a song that we sing that says, put on the gospel armor uh, and watching unto prayer. And that's really a couple different versions of that. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. And one of the versions says, put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. And you should familiar, familiarize yourself with each piece of armor And um, you want to pray over these uh, pieces of armor, and you want to make sure that you get these pieces of armor on. The Bible tells you to put on the whole armor of God. I also want to point out just at this point, as you go through the passage, there's nowhere where it ever tells you to take it off. Um, We we may lay our armor down uh, when we go on home to glory and um, not before then. And even then, we're going to be equipped with some other armor when we come back at the second advent behind the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's another story for another day. Um, right now, let me say that regarding the spiritual armor, uh, you should familiarize yourself with it, as I've said, and you should learn how to use it. And you should make sure to have it ready at hand for whenever the battle might arise. Put it on, don't take it off, and uh, learn to become skilled in using it. Twice in Ephesians 6, you are admonished to utilize the whole armor of God. Anything less than putting on the whole armor of God, that is all seven of these pieces of armor that are given here, anything less is going to leave you unprotected and vulnerable in some area so that you might have a lot of yourself covered. But what the devil will do is if you don't have on the whole armor of God, he'll look for that um, empty spot, that unprotected area, kind of like the weak link in your uh, uh, chain of uh, armor, if you will. And, of course, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, the Bible says, Neither give place to the devil. When we fail to put on the whole armor of God, whether we don't put on any of it or we only put on part of it, then we are leaving room for the devil to get in. So to progress toward this end of not giving place to the devil, uh, you've got to make sure that you put on the whole armor of God. And we're going to look at uh, these seven pieces here and uh, try to get you at least introduced to them. And uh, we'll, we'll get you some, uh, some milk and a little bit of, uh, of meat, I believe, in here. So um, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to get it ready and, and be ready to run some of these references as we go through here. Uh, in the book of Ephesians, as it goes through there, and you read about the armor of God, uh, it tells you, first of all, to have your loins girt about with truth. Sometimes folks will call this as a piece of armor, the the girdle of truth, for obvious reasons, because you're to have your loins girt about with truth. Now, at this point, uh, one might think of what uh, Pilate said to Jesus when he said, uh, what is truth? And in understanding about having your loins girt about with truth, I think that's a good place to start. And without being fully exhaustive on the subject, um, I'm just going to point out two things that the Bible declares as truth, and that is uh, Jesus and then the Bible, or the Word of God itself. John fourteen six, <clears throat> Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. John 17, verse 17, the Lord Jesus says as he's praying to the Father, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the Word of God is the truth, and the Lord Jesus Christ is truth. Now, before I make application, I want to get a better understanding of uh, the other part of the verse, and that is uh, about girding up our loins. He says, having your loins girt about with truth. 
I think you find great light on this by looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. And here, Peter says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I used to go through this and just think about, all right, well, having your loins girt about with truth, well, how do I, how do, I do this? And then reading through the scriptures, you come to 1 Peter 1.13, and he gives you some insight about how to spiritually put on this spiritual armor. Loins girt about with truth. You need to gird up the loins of your mind with truth. And you got to remember, this is spiritual armor for spiritual warfare. And as we put these things together, you can see the need in uh, this first piece of armor to fix your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ and on the Word of God. Uh, over in Psalm 1, uh, we're said to be blessed, and the man is said to be blessed who meditates in God's Word uh, day and night. And so there's a benefit to, to fixing your mind on Jesus Christ and a benefit to uh, fixing your mind on the Word of God and, and meditating in that Word day and night. Furthermore, in Isaiah 26, verse 3, the Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. As we keep our minds locked on the Lord, uh, the Lord blesses us with perfect peace. So there's some definite benefits associated with this, and additionally, it uh, helps to keep the devil out of your mind. <clears throat> One of the most important things that uh, I was instructed to do after I got saved was to memorize Scripture, to commit portions of Scripture to, memorize, to, to memory. I'd memorize Bible verses. I would, uh, I would commit them to memory, and it would help me to transform my mind. Over in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, talks about um, be, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so what helped me to renew my mind was putting in uh, the scriptures in there. And uh, this helped me to have my loins girt about with truth and, and help to keep the devil out who was always seeking a way uh, to get in. I remember early on in my Christian life getting down to pray and having just... Uh, old thoughts of old stuff and stuff that's unholy and things that you wouldn't even think you'd think about when you're trying to approach the Lord. These things would get in. But the more I uh, would get the scriptures in my mind, the less that would happen. And so the first thing here is, is having your loins girt about with truth. And so Peter telling you to gird up the loins of your mind, I would encourage you to gird up your mind, the loins of your mind, with the truth of the Word of God a lot of Bible in there, saturates your mind with the scriptures by memorizing it, by studying it, by reading it regularly on a daily basis, and by hearing it preached at your uh, local church and hearing it taught in um, Bible study, Sunday school and Bible study at your, your local church. And, um, and that'll help to have your loins girt about with truth. Additionally, let me make mention of this. I think also this um, whole concept of having your loins girt about with truth uh, can, can show another application, and that, that is I think it can speak to purity. When you think of uh, the portion of one's literal body, the loins being that part uh, that is used for reproduction and the abuse that um, uh, that stuff is is uh, is is just being put forth uh, about that about that whole idea uh, today. The impurity of people, uh, the licentiousness, the loose morals of our 21st century society. I think it's a good idea to to protect yourself um, purity wise by girding up your loins with the truth of the Word of God in such things as as taking the instruction as the Bible says, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." Um, flee fornication, 
um, abstain from all appearance of evil, things like that. So I, I think that, that helps in that matter as well. Now, that kind of leads us into the next part, which is the breastplate of righteousness, the next piece of armor that's mentioned there in Ephesians chapter 6, the breastplate of righteousness. And as you read about the uh, breastplate of righteousness, you'll note that um, this particular piece of armor called the breastplate, this breastplate would go on the portion of the body, much like the place where a, a chest protector would go on a, a baseball catcher. And the breastplate uh, will protect the heart. And so we want to we keep our heart with all diligence. And it's the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness will help to uh, keep your heart from, from going astray. Now, there are three types of righteousness that one might have in the Scriptures. There is self-righteousness. Isaiah 64, verse 6 uh, talks about this. It says, but we are all as an unclean thing. And it goes on to say, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's our self-righteousness. Uh, there's also God's righteousness. In Romans 10, verse 3, it talks about both self-righteousness and God's righteousness, saying, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So you have self-righteousness, you have God's righteousness, but then there's a third righteousness, and that is a practical Christian righteousness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.34 is written to people that are already saved, and it says to them, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So there's a a righteousness that is available beyond just uh, God's righteousness that we get in salvation. Certainly it's associated with this, but it's us practically living out uh, righteousness in our Christian life. It's allowing God's righteousness, which is on the inside, to come out and manifest itself on the outside in our Christian life. Now, before a person gets saved, all he's got is self-righteousness. That's filthy rags. That won't get him anywhere at the judgment. If that's all you got, then you need God's righteousness for salvation. When a person gets saved, he receives God's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 speaks of how that God made the Lord Jesus Christ to be sin for us, who knew no sin, Christ didn't know any sin, that we, uh, who were sinners and unrighteous, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When a person gets saved, he gets God's righteousness. This is his standing in Christ. He is then judicially righteous before God. He has been justified. Uh, He has had God's righteousness imputed unto his account so that the Lord uh, sees him as as righteous doctrinally. This is our salvation. This is what's going to get us into heaven, uh, not our own righteousness. Now, after salvation, we are told, as we mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15.34, to awake to righteousness and sin not. We are also told in 1 Timothy 6.11, to follow after righteousness. So this is that practical righteousness, which we refer to not as our standing, that's, that's God's righteousness, that's our standing, but our practical righteousness we would refer to as our state. And uh, this is the state or the condition of your practical Christian life. Now, ideally, the state of your practical Christian life should match closely with your standing, but it does not uh, always do so. And so for that reason, we get saved, God puts his righteousness in us, and then we've got to work that out. Like he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not work to get saved. That's taking the salvation that God's already given you because you've received Jesus Christ and then working what's on the inside out to the outside. 
So you got to get this righteousness on the inside working on the outside. In, uh, Tim, in, in, in that Timothy was already saved when Paul called him a man of God and told him to follow after righteousness. And since Paul addressed the book of Ephesians to save people, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 tells you that, then this breastplate of righteousness that the saints are to put on must be a practical righteousness. Um, he's not telling you uh, as a Christian to get saved again and get God's righteousness again, but rather put on the breastplate of righteousness. You need a practical righteousness. Living righteously is going to help protect the Christian from the assaults of the adversary. So even though you're saved and, and you can't lose that salvation, and you may have liberty to, quite frankly, uh, do uh, a lot of different things and still get to heaven, all right? Matter of fact, nothing you can do to lose your salvation once you're saved. Uh, if you try to live a life of sin after you're saved, you're going to give place to the devil. You're going to leave your heart unprotected, and the devil's going to be able to go in that place like, a, like after a city that's broken down without walls and plunder uh, the, the spoil of your Christian life and just wreak havoc in your Christian life. You need the breastplate of righteousness. You need your heart protected. So a Christian ought to live right because that will give him protection uh, against the adversary, having on the breastplate of righteousness. All right, the third piece of the armor of God is having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, you could call this um, your uh, uh, spiritual combat boots, if you will. Here you are putting something on your feet, your feet shod with a preparation. A good soldier has combat boots. Um, if, if a Christian doesn't have on these boots, he leaves his feet vulnerable. As a matter of fact, uh, if you could think about a, a man going out to war. Uh, you know, you're, under normal circumstances, you're not going to go out to fight a battle barefoot. You're not going to run through uh, the battlefield with barbed wire and, uh, you know, terrain, perhaps uh, cockleburs and so forth. You're not going to run through there very fast with um, rocks and everything else with no boots on. And you're, if you do, you're going to wind up wounding your feet. Uh, the, the combat boots give you confidence to run uh, without uh, harming uh, your feet. Now, what is it that protects our feet? It's having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet are shod. You have these spiritual shoes, these, uh, as I said, gospel boots, these spiritual combat boots, and these protect your feet. And what is it that does it? It's, it's you being prepared with the gospel of peace. It has to do with witnessing, you being prepared to witness. In order to do this, you're going to have to learn how to witness. In order to do this, you're going to have to uh, be walking with the Lord so that when the opportunity arises, uh, you're ready to take advantage of it. A Christian that doesn't witness, a Christian that doesn't prepare himself to witness, leaves his feet vulnerable. Uh, if you've been saved for any amount of time, you should know how to present, pre, uh, present the plan of salvation. If you don't, then you want to prepare yourself by learning how to present the plan of salvation and how to be a witness to somebody. And before you really even know anything, I mean, you can still witness. You can tell people how the Lord saved you. Paul did this right after getting saved. Uh, the woman at the well did it right after she got saved. And then as you grow, you want to be able to learn how to more skillfully present it. <laughs> but if you don't witness, uh, you leave your feet vulnerable. And if you're out on the battlefield and your feet get blown out from underneath you, look, you're not going to get very far in running your Christian race. And it is a race that we run. Um, 
if you do get your feet blown out from under underneath you, I'll tell you something else that might happen is uh, if there's other soldiers out there, uh, they're going to have to stop what they're doing to try to carry you to safety. And I think part of the problem in, in Christianity is a lot of God's people have dropped the ball when it comes to witnessing. And so other Christian soldiers have to work overtime to pick up the slack for the people that aren't witnessing. And that's why sometimes they get worn out. What a blessing it would be if every child of God would obey uh, this admonition and put on the whole armor of God and hold his own weight in uh, witnessing and making sure that he has his feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But um, maybe maybe the, to really reach you on this is to remind you that this thing about witnessing, and I don't think a lot of people really realize this, this thing about witnessing is part of the armor of God, literally. This is part of the armor that you're supposed to have on. And if you don't have this on, if you don't witness, you don't have yourself fully covered. You're giving place to the devil. You're leaving yourself vulnerable for the attacks of the adversary. Now, he calls it the gospel of peace. And the idea of this is is bringing people into a peaceful relationship with God. Uh, For example, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is bringing us back into a peaceful and a right relationship uh, with the Lord God uh, himself. Regarding the gospel of peace, it's also mentioned in Romans chapter 10, verse 15. It says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You know, um, as a child of God, being saved and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and born again, uh, you really ought to endeavor to have beautiful feet for the Lord. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. You know those uh, beautiful feet, you know how, how uh, they become beautiful? By you having your gospel shoes on or gospel boots on. I want you to consider this uh, verse kind of stuck back there in Song of Solomon, chapter 7. In verse number one, and in Song of Solomon, you have a dissertation, really a a conversation, if you will, going back and forth between the bride and the groom. And the part I'm about to read you is spoken by the groom uh, of uh, his bride. And we want to remember, this is an historical incident where Solomon speaks to his bride but it's not just put in there for its history by any means. It's prophetical in that it pictures the relationship between Jesus Christ, our, our groom, the bridegroom, and uh, the church, his bride. The church is comprised of saved people. And as the bridegroom uh, is, is speaking to the bride, Song of Solomon chapter 7, verse 1, he says this, How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the beautiful feet have to do with the ones that are preaching the gospel of peace. And as the Lord speaks to the church and uh, those that are in it, he says, how beautiful are thy feet with shoes. What shoes are those? Those are your gospel shoes, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You want beautiful feet, beautiful uh, gospel feet? Um, You need to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let me give you something else. Uh, Isaiah chapter 32, verse 20, it says this, Blessed are ye that sow 
beside all waters, S-O-W, like the sowing of the seed. Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters, that send forth thither the feet of the ox and the ass. Now, in the Bible, the ass is a type of a Christian. The ox is a type of a preacher. Let me give you a scripture on both of those. Job 11 and verse 12, it talks, first of all, about an unsaved man. And it says this, For vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. When we get um, born just physically in this world, we're like a wild ass's colt. This is an old nature, untamed, not brought into subjection. However, in, in Mark chapter uh, 1, or 11, rather, beginning verse 1, the Lord tells us a story. And I'm going to read you several verses from Mark 11. It says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door, without, in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. All right, this colt uh, is going to be uh, an ass's colt. It's the colt, um, the, the foal of an ass, if you will. And you can see this uh, uh, elsewhere. In matter of fact, um, let me just grab you a reference for that uh, right quick. In uh, the New Testament, there's a reference to it in in Luke when he's dealing with this thing. And uh, let's see. Actually, I'm uh, actually make it Matthew. Matthew chapter uh, 21. He says in verse number two, "Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me." All right. So there's the the same story, and we just want to establish uh, what we're dealing with here. Now, as he as he deals with this as they bring him, he comes and finds this colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met. And there's all kinds of things here. He's at a place where two ways met. We have the straight uh, way, the narrow way, broad is the gate, and, and, uh, uh, and or, or where broad is the way, we have the broad way. And those two ways are, are there. Jesus Christ saith, I am the way. So the broad way is one way that leads to hell. The narrow way is the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to salvation in heaven. And the colt is tied by the door. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And uh, then he'd say elsewhere, too, further illustrating, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. Here's the colt. He's tied. And by the place where two ways met, uh, they loose him. Uh, it's a picture of salvation. You're loosed from the bondage of sin. And certain of them that stood by there said unto them, Why do you, uh, what do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Again, picture of salvation. And what did they say to him? He said, When they ask you why you loose them, say, The Lord hath need of him. So the Lord gets on the wild ass's colt, he tames him, he rides him, and he's got need of him. So that's a picture of salvation. And the, the wild ass's colt's the unsaved man. The uh, after, after salvation, just referred to as um, the ass there in type in Isaiah chapter 32. Hold that thought, and let me tell you about the ox for just a moment. The ox is a picture of a preacher. Uh, 
First Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. All right, now you've got a, a picture of um, an unsaved man as an ass, a picture of a preacher as an ox. Back to Isaiah chapter 32, verse 20. Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters. Mark 4, verse 14 says, the sower soweth the word. Uh, we're sowing the gospel. We're putting the word of God out there, we're preaching the gospel. That's sowing the seed of the word of God. We do it through witnessing. We do it through gospel tracts. Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters. Waters are sometimes in the Bible representative of people. In Revelation 17, verse number one, he talks about the, showing him the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. When you go down to verse number 15, and that verse is interpreted, it says this, and he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So as we get all this together, and you may want to go back if, you, if I'm going too fast and just really digest this, but getting it all together, Isaiah 32, verse 20, is a tremendous picture of, of, of uh, what we're talking about. Blessed are ye that sow. You're blessed when you sow the word of God and sow the gospel. Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters. You're putting that uh, out where the people can get it. You're going out there to get it to the people, uh, just like uh, Brother Matt does when he goes out there and uh, preaches in public down um, in uh, Syracuse, uh, just like um, Brother Eric does when he's passing out gospel tracts and witnessing, just like Brother Steve does uh, when he's going out and uh, bringing the gospel sometimes to people's houses door-to-door, just like we do, the same things here uh, in Lockport. So getting it all together, blessed are ye that sow beside all waters that send forth, the fe- that send forth thither the feet having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel peace of the ox and the ass. And here's the truth that's in there. In a good church, not uh, the people these are going to be witnessing and the preacher is going to be witnessing. Sometimes in churches, it's just the preacher that does the witnessing and not the people. Well, they both need to do it. In other churches, it's just the people that do the witnessing and not the preacher. But here, it's they're sending forth the feet of the ox and the ass. So you just you digest all of that, and if you're a preacher, let me say this: uh, you ought to be witnessing, and you're going to lose touch with reality if you don't, and uh, you're going to you're going to fail to protect yourself with the whole armor of God if you're not witnessing. So you want to be a witness for for your own. If you don't care about other souls or other people, you want to be a witness for your own sake because you've left yourself vulnerable to the attacks uh, of the devil. And if you're just an average uh, church member, and I say that, when I say that, I say it respectfully, because uh, we need good church members. We need people there, and the average church member ought to be a witness just like any other Christian. And so wherever you are in the church, it's your duty uh, to witness, and uh, it's part of your armor. All right, let's uh, hasten on. The shield of faith, number four. (laughs) This portion of armor enables the Christian, the Bible says, to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked in Ephesians chapter six. Now, the devil's fiery darts often come at us through the tongues of other people. Uh, See Peter and and Jesus, as we mentioned uh, earlier. And then um, uh, also in James chapter three, verse number six, it says that the tongue is a fire, uh, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members. And, uh, and so that tongue being a fire, 
sometimes that's where the fires of hell are kindled, and that's what we got to battle uh, in, uh, in quenching all the fiery darts of the wicked. The devil kindles fiery darts from the tongues sometimes of uh, unsuspecting people, uh, sometimes even of off the tongues of suspecting people who just get full of the devil. And we're going to need faith, the shield of faith, to quench those fiery darts. If you don't have the shield of faith, those fiery darts will penetrate. They'll try to work their way into your mind or into your heart and just wreak, uh, wreak havoc. But you can keep them from penetrating uh, and coming forth and reaching you and doing you harm. <laughs> now, the, that's what the, the shield of faith will do for you. It provides literally all-around protection. Uh, if you got your Bible, go to Psalm 5 with me, if you would. Book of Psalms. And I'm going to look at Psalm 5. And in Psalm 5, look down in verse number 12. It says, For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. One of the things that's often pointed out about the armor of God is that uh, when you get all the armor together, it's, it's mentioned you find no armor for the back. And apparently that's, that's true. And, and yet, as we look at the shield of faith, I find that there's armor here that covers you front and back and, and I think above and below. Thou wilt compass him with favor. Thou wilt compass him as with a shield. You tie that to the whole armor of God. There's the shield of faith giving you protection in your front and protection on your sides and protection on your back so that you can't get snuck up on by the devil. Neither, uh, it also protects you against quote-unquote friendly fire when you get too far ahead of some of your own uh, troops. Now, uh, this is the shield of faith. Uh, I'll give you something else that will help corroborate this, uh, this thought. But in Matthew chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, the Lord said to them this. Jesus said, they asked Jesus, you know, why, why couldn't we cast out this devil that Jesus was able to cast out? And Jesus said, you couldn't do it because of this, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. So he tells him you couldn't do it because of your unbelief, because if you have faith as a grain of mustard, they didn't even have enough faith even faith as a grain of mustard or, or less than that, to be able to cast out that devil. So he went on to say this, verse 21, Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. We told them that they couldn't do it because of their unbelief. They didn't have the right faith. And then said that it doesn't go out, but by prayer and fasting. Which would lead me to understand this, that prayer and fasting will increase one's faith. And if you lack the faith to have the full protection of the armor of God, to have the shield of faith, then you might try to bolster your faith with a season of prayer and fasting. A good day of it would be a good start. One of the results of uh, fasting, the positive results of fasting, in Isaiah 58 and verse number 8, is this. It says, And thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. And your King James, the, the word is spelled R-E-R-E-W-A-R-D, reward. Looks like re-reward. You can run that in other places, like in the book of Joshua, and you'll find that um, the reward is the part that comes behind. Uh, you'll have certain people going before, and then the rearward's coming behind. 
Uh, you had that uh, somebody going before the ark, and then the reward bringing up the rear, coming up behind. And so the righteousness of the Lord, you're right, the righteousness is going to go before thee. There's in front of you. The glory of the Lord is going to bring up the rear. Shall be thy reward. And this is associated with fasting, which is associated with increasing faith. Matthew 17, verses 20 and 21, which is associated this, with the shield of faith. The faith is associated with the shield of faith, which brings you protection all around to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, which runs you right back to Psalm 5 and verse number 12. Again, talking about with favor, thou wilt compass him as with a shield. So, uh, boy, you might, again, want to run those references and just uh, let that uh, percolate down into the depths of your soul, because there's real help there. All right, number five, the fifth piece of armor, the helmet of salvation. Now, since the Christian soldier has already been saved, God's not telling him to get saved again. This is the armor given to a saved person. The helmet protects the head, and um, it gives the soldier his assurance of salvation. And so one of the first things I find beneficial of the helmet of salvation is, is it gives you that assurance. And many Christians have battled doubting their salvation. But the Bible tells us that we can know and we can be assured uh, that we're saved. And I won't read uh, the reference. I'll give you one quote and I'll give you uh, both references. But, but I'm going to give you 1 John 5.13, which I'll quote in a moment, and then 1 John 3, verses 19 through 21, which you can look at and, um, and study on your own. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. So I just want to tell you right now that it is possible for you to know, K-N-O-W, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that you are saved, that if you died right now, uh, you'd go to heaven. If you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. If you've received Jesus Christ, you're saved and been born again. You are saved. You're on your way to heaven. And you can know that, and you ought to know that. The helmet of salvation will help you to know that. You want to have that assurance of salvation. You want to believe what God said in his word. If you don't feel like you're saved, then uh, don't trust in your feeling. Look at the word of God and trust in what the Lord said. Uh, Have faith not in your feeling, but have faith in the facts of the word of God. Whatever the scriptures say, you can can trust uh, that the Bible is accurate. Now, the helmet of salvation, uh, I, I see another application as well. <laughs> I think it can also be applied to uh, our, uh, us having confidence in God's deliverance in a particular battle. <laughs> as when David went out against Goliath, uh, he said, the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David went forth with confidence. He went forth knowing that he was fighting God's battle and knowing that God was going to protect him and thereby knowing that um, uh, he'd be safe. And so as he fought that battle, uh, he, he had complete confidence that he was fighting the Lord's battle, the battle was the Lord's, and God was going to deliver Goliath into his hands. That was, there was a confidence there, an assurance. Once you've heard from God, you've prayed through a matter, or God's given you sufficient leadership in a matter, uh, you can go forth knowing that uh, where God guides, he provides. Uh, with the calling comes the enabling, or as it says, and I believe it's First Thessalonians 5.24, Faithless he that calleth you who also will do it. And uh, I think this has something to do with the helmet of salvation as well. Uh, you can also see, for an example, Moses in Exodus chapter 14, verse number 13, uh, where it says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again uh, no more forever. And there, 
um, Moses was able to go forth, as it were, as an old te- in an Old Testament example of, of what it would be like to go forth with the helmet of salvation in a practical battle. Uh, remember, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. All right, and I realize we're hurrying through some of this and not spending near as much time as we could. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've spent... Uh, uh, in uh, some years gone by, I spent like nine weeks just teaching or preaching through this uh, whole armor of God. So uh, you can really run with it. But I want to take time in one Bible study and just acquaint you uh, with it. So, and, and as well, give you some, some meat of the matter as well. So we come to number six now, the sixth piece of armor, and that is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 is identified plainly and clear, clearly for you as the Word of God. Um, and it would, it would only stand to reason uh, that uh, this would be part of the armor of God. Uh, this is an offensive weapon that God gives us to fight the battles of the Lord. We've been talking uh, primarily about uh, defensive weapons uh, thus far, and, and, uh, and here's an offensive weapon now, one that you can take uh, on attack. You can also use a sword for, for defense, for blocking um, the, uh, uh, an inferior sword, uh, and, and other things, but but the sword of the spirit uh, can win many victories uh, for you. Uh, your good old trusty sword, like uh, Ron Hamilton, A.K.A. Patch the Pirate, uh, sung about. I win the battles for my Lord with my good old trusty sword. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ provides us a great example. When he was tempted by the devil, and the devil would uh, bring out those temptations, saying, for example, command these stones to be made bread. You know what Jesus did. Uh, He pulled the sword of the Spirit out of its sheath, and he quoted Scripture out loud, and he won the victory. You can see uh, an example of this in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, which we'll not take the time to go through right now. But the devil would say, um, you know, it is written, and he'd misquote Scripture, and Jesus would uh, say, it is written again, and he'd quote uh, quote it accurately. But he'd take it, and he'd quote it out loud, and there's a lot you can learn from that. When the devil is breathing down your neck and you're oppressed and you're afflicted and you feel like you're ready to fall apart, I'll tell you what you can do. You pull your sword out of the sheath and you find you uh, some good scripture that pertains to what you're dealing with and just quote it out loud. Take, open up your Bible and read it out loud if you don't have it memorized, and that's perfectly fine as well. <laughs> but um, when, when you're about to be tempted, I guarantee you there's a verse in there that'll deal with it. If you can't find the exact verse, open it up anywhere and just start reading out loud <laughs> until you come to something that'll help you. <laughs> but there's something about quoting the Scriptures out loud that just um, it charges the spiritual atmosphere with power and cleanses it kind of like lightning does to the physical atmosphere and when after a, a, a lightning storm, a thunder and lightning storm, and it's rained, and then it, it, it breaks, and you're still in the daytime, and the sun comes out, man, you just feel like the whole atmosphere has been charged with God's gigantic electrostatic filter. And on a spiritual level, that's what the Bible will do to the spiritual atmosphere. And if you don't remember anything else I've told you today, boy, remember this. Remember this. Remember to pull out the sword of the Spirit when you're in a time of temptation or a time of oppression or a time of depression or a time of discouragement and quote you some Bible out loud. And uh, it'll, it'll, it'll do wonders. It'll help to dispel your adversary. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Sometimes God's people just, uh, just won't resist. And these are your tools of resistance here, the whole armor of God.
So we, we would do well to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he needed that to overcome the devil, and he did overcome him, uh, certainly we need it as well. So this is another reason why you ought to read your Bible regularly and why you ought to memorize uh, Scripture. Now, it's important to note uh, the final piece of uh, armor here. And this is um, easily overlooked, but uh, you, sh- you don't want to overlook it. Don't overlook the fact that Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, about the sword of the Spirit, does not end with a period. The armor continues into verse 18 with prayer. And even if it did end with a period, it could still continue into verse 18, but, but this really will help you to see it if you're having trouble. You will not overcome the adversary's attacks without prayer. And I want to read you there from Ephesians. If you're, if you're not in Ephesians 6, you might want to get there now and, and just take a look. But in verse 17, we'll start there. It says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then um, you have a uh, colon, uh, I believe. I'm actually reading, looking at the, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double check. So I'm looking at this at the computer. Occasionally, I, I, my computer program, I'll find maybe something that's a little bit different. Uh, from my Bible. So I'm just going to go right up to the Cambridge here and just uh, confirm this. And it is indeed a colon. And uh, also, uh, the screen letters are a little bit uh, harder to read than it is my text sometimes uh, in the Scriptures. But he says, And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, colon, praying always. So here, before he closes up this passage on the armor of God, and, and this would only stand to reason just like the Word of God would be part of armor, that prayer is part of armor. Well, never forget that prayer is part of your armor. And he says here, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And if you're going to have on the whole armor of God, you're going to have to have a prayer life. And I, I really recommend, if you are physically able, that you get down on your knees every day and spend some time talking to God. Maybe you won't be able to spend all the time you'd like to on your knees on a given day, but you can spend some time there. And if you can't um, physically get on your knees, uh, God understands that. You can still talk to God in prayer. And by the way, the only praying that you do during the day shouldn't be while you're on your knees. Uh, When you get up off your knees, you should just maintain uh, your fellowship with the Lord, speaking to Him, walking and talking with Him, and, and praying, and being instant in prayer, as the Bible says. Part of your armor is prayer praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Notice not only prayer for yourself, but prayer for others. As he says, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And so part of my armor is praying in general, but also uh, praying for others. Uh, intercessory's prayer, intercessory prayer. And you're not going to overcome the adversary's attacks without prayer. And so the uh, Bible tells you in Luke chapter 18, verse number 1, men ought always to pray and not to faint. So those are the seven pieces of the armor of God. You're to have your loins girt about with truth. You're to have on the breastplate of righteousness. You're to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You're to take uh, the shield of faith, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You're to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always. Now, let me ask you this. Have you got your armor on? If not, make sure to put on the whole armor of God and then do your best not to ever uh, take it off. <laughs> 
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Strobel. Excellent study. Excellent. Uh, Guys. Who's going to be first? (laughs) Go go right ahead. (laughs) All right. Um, I I always enjoy the study on uh, the armor of of God, and it's always an encouragement whenever I hear it. Uh, Even after being saved for 35 years, it's still good to hear that because – there's times, even subconsciously, that we, we put off the armor of God, and it's always uh, good to be challenged to put it back on again and, and make sure that we're uh, fortified against the, the, the wiles of the devil. But one of the things, I guess, that, that I'd like to maybe just draw from this and uh, maybe just encourage others— uh, I'm sure Pastor Strobel mentioned this. He he mentioned so many scriptures. I'm trying to remember if he mentioned this one or not. But in Second Timothy uh, two, three, and four, it says, "Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier." And of course, the admonition uh, is not to be entangled with the affairs of this life. But that is assuming that the person is engaged in the battle, and uh, it would it, it would do us well to put on the whole armor of God. But unless we engage in the battle and fight against those spiritual uh, wickedness in high places, uh, it's not going to do you much good. I mean. Yeah, it's it's there for protection and so forth, but it's made for for a fight. It's made for battle, and uh, oftentimes, at least in my observation, uh, the modern Christian uh, is is more has more of a passive attitude towards their Christian life, and uh, they're they're not uh, engaged in the the spiritual battle. And therefore, the the spiritual armor <laughs> doesn't uh, doesn't do them much good. Uh, they they have to realize that whether they realize it or not, they're engaged in a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they're fighting against you. And you have to fight back. You have to fight back now. There's a verse that I ran across uh, some time ago, and it's always been an encouragement encouragement to me, especially for someone who's, uh, you know, going along in their Christian life and they're not really seeing a whole lot of victory in their life. And it's found in Joshua chapter 10. And uh, just really quickly, Joshua is fighting against five kings and they run into a cave and he brings them out and steps on their necks and has them killed. But the admonition here is found in verse uh, 25 of Joshua chapter 10. And it says this, And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of a good courage. For thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. The Lord's not just going to do it for you. You have to fight against the enemy. And obviously, again, just to reiterate, the world, the flesh, and the devil are your enemies. And you're, you're not going to get victory unless you fight against them. And once you start fighting against them, then the Lord takes up the battle with you and often supersedes it. And you can just step back and watch the Lord win the victory through the whole thing. But you have to fight first. And putting on that whole armor of God is absolutely necessary. And once you do that, then you need to engage in the battle. 
So that's what I've got to say. Come on. Go ahead, man. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, the blessing about this show is I always learn something, and that's what I love about it. And uh, it's just a blessing to be able to get on here and, and have good fellowship, but also to learn. And uh, it's just, it's great. But um, one of the things that I thought about is, uh, I think I might have talked about it when I went through the uh, the show that we did on dreams, and uh, kind of a uh, maybe an application would be, you know, when I have... I know, I think it's you, Dad, that you told me when you have dreams, you can, you know, say you're going up against an army or something like that. You can uh, kind of call out, you know, like a big machine gun or a nice sword or something like that. But, uh, but you know, when I have a dream like that, I always start off with a really powerful weapon, say, a, you know, a nice steel sword. And then when, uh, you know, the, the enemy's coming after me, it always turns the rubber <laughs> and it just starts, you know, waving back and forth and it's not sharp. It's, it's either rubber or plastic or whatever. And, and so I'm like, what in the world just happened? And I think, you know, uh, to apply it to today as Christians, I think there's a lot of Christians in this world that maybe have started out with a good steel sword. And what's happened now is the devil has really corrupted the word of God is, as, as Paul says in second Corinthians two seventeen we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. And uh, I think a lot of people today have, you know, when you have steel swords and things, if there's any impurities in it, um, it's not as strong. If there's just one area of that sword that is not pure uh, like the rest of it, you're going to have impurities in there and it's going to actually get weaker. And I think with these new Bibles, um, you know, the NASV, the ASV, all the new versions since, since the King James Bible, I think what happens is uh, these Christians go out with, uh, you know, a butter knife. They go out with, you know, some rubber swords. And, uh, you know, when you're trying to use the word of God, you know, the Bible says Hebrews uh, in uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, a lot of I think a lot of Christians don't see victory in their lives because— they go out uh, without a sharp uh, two-edged sword. They go out with just you know something very weak, which is all the other Bible versions. And not only do they not see growth in their own personal lives, uh, but also they try and witness maybe to other people uh, with with the Word of God that's not even pure uh, because they've got the other versions and other things taken away. And uh, and I think that's the biggest thing is. Um, you know, to have a sword of God, the Word of God, the King James Bible in your hand. You know, I want a Bible that uh, is from God. You know, I want a sword that's uh, heavenly made. And, uh, you know, these other versions are uh, man-made. You know, mm -hmm. I, I truly believe that when they uh, got together and, of course, they uh, compiled everything for the King James Bible, that the Holy Spirit uh, was there and, and had a part in every single word uh, that was put down in this Bible, so we got the perfect words of God. But now, what they're doing with the with the other versions is they're taking it and they're putting, you know, their own spin on it. They're also taking a lot of words out. They're making it so much weaker, uh, so that when the Christians go out, you know, what's the easiest way for the devil to be able to win a war? You know, it, you say, you know, we're going to go up against these people. There, there's so many more. Uh, enemies and then we are what what's the what's the best way for the devil to do that is to put butter knives or or plastic swords into the into the enemy's hands and that's what he's done i truly believe that i believe that he put all these asvs and asvs 
in the hands of Christians so that uh, they wouldn't be able to win the war. So if anything I could say, it's get yourself a good King James Bible, stick <laughs> with it, and uh, don't don't uh, give it up for uh, for a butter knife. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Real quick on that point, um, a couple of verses, Ezekiel 38, verse 3 and 4, it says, And and, they, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth in thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, mm. even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. So right to what Matt's talking about, yeah, you've got a bunch of people out there with all kinds of armor, all sorts of armor, and uh, the wrong swords. Mm. And so uh, very, very well put. Isn't it amazing, too, the uh, the the many allusions to... You know, warfare and you know armor and uh, it, yeah. there's there's a there's a certainly a very strong military comparison to yeah. to the uh, to the Christian walk. Yes, there is. <laughs> yep. Thinking while you're saying that, I'll just go ahead and interject. But Psalm, I'm gonna look it up to get the quote right. Psalm 144 and mm-hmm. verse number one. David said, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Mm-hmm. Man. I don't know if you I don't know if you had this verse, Pastor Strobel, in uh, first Timothy chapter one, verse uh, eighteen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's good. That's good. Very good. Also, I was thinking about too, Jeremiah chapter forty eight, verse ten. Bible says, Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. And like Pastor Strobel rightly pointed out, you know, we're we're not taking out literal blood, but we're supposed to use the sword, the word of God, and we're supposed to, you know, cut them um, spiritually and uh, take out spiritual blood so that they start uh, bleeding and they start seeing, hey, listen, you know, this word of God is something true. This gospel's true. Uh, you know, I need to get saved. And I think a lot of people are uh, are keeping back that sword. You know, they may have even the King James Bible in their hands, but they're not actually using it, you know, witnessing and, and taking the gospel out and using the spiritual sword to, to cut the people, to, to get them to the point where they, they're broken and they say, hey, I need Jesus Christ. And I think that's what, what's lacking today. Amen. Well, People seem to act more like they ought to be in a retreat and and uh, back in the the rear lines, you know, and and having some R and R instead of being out in the battle. Uh, certainly, there's time to rest and relax, but uh, the more, majority of the time, we're supposed to be engaged and uh, uh, be fighting the good fight of faith. Come on. Amen. Yeah. Another thought on that: um, not keeping back your sword from blood, destroying the spiritual blood, and when you do take it out, as Brother Matt said, and then they begin to bleed as they lose blood, they're going to realize they need a transfusion. Yeah, <laughs> man, that's good. And then they get the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah, Amen. 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 Well, good study tonight. And again, thank you, Pastor Stroh, for Amen. bringing that for us. And there's the uh, the choir. Right on time. We still have a King James Bible to give away. We just have not put it together how we're going to make that happen. So, but that will be upcoming. Got some other ideas on some uh, upcoming shows. Mm. I, we talked about the uh, the Sun Edition. 
<laughs> we mentioned that at Youth Ablaze. We were talking about that. So uh, take a look. It's going to be a, it'll be a few years before we can do that because Matt just got married. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt will be the only uh, the only son that uh, is currently consistently on the show. But Jason's been on before, hasn't he? Has Jason's he been on. Yep. Yeah. Yes. I've had a couple of sons of the faith down. Yeah. Amen. So we'll we're put, we're putting that together. I like I like the idea of the wives edition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'd what be is, hard pressed to get that one going. I'll tell you that. <laughs> like, like who's going to be able to preach? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Matt doesn't have anything to come back with on that one either. <laughs> All right. Well, good. And uh, anything else for the good of the cause? I take it to be not. So, we'll, uh, Lord willing, we'll see everybody next time. Amen. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on.